Hi, Janina. Hi, Emma. How are you today? I'm all right. How are you? I'm all right. I'm ready for some sexy history. Are you ready for some sexy history? I am so ready for some sexy history. I have some some sexy, sexy history. Sexy, sexy history. Yeah, because the, the history that I have today is predominantly about women, and women are great. So Women are naturally sexy, I hear. Yeah. Um, Swoban can't control themselves. Yeah, because of boobs, they just have magic powers of sexiness. I mean... That's what I understand. It's, it's tough to disagree with. Yeah. <laughs> they are great. You can't argue with that. You can't argue with it. I they mean, are I'm, functional, and they are aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, um, they're an A... I was about to say they're an A-plus product. <laughs> You do have to thread quite a fine line of ideal size, you know. It's true. I went and got measured at Bravissimo and came out with a extremely ludicrous size, which means I can now only buy bras in Bravissimo because nowhere else on earth does my bra size. I also we- recently got measured. Not I should have gone to Bravissimo. I went to Victoria's Secret instead, and I think they were wrong. <laughs> I... Did they just like give you some slivers of lace and be like, there you go? No, they gave me basic, like huge tents of silk. With, with, <laughs> like, I didn't understand them. They didn't look even like bras anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, I didn't enjoy it. No, so. I recommend Bravissimo. They're not paying me for this, but I had a lovely experience. Yeah, Tried every, on about 80 bras. Everyone um, I know raves about them. Yeah, they were great. Yeah. Um, and also the woman was wearing a really good jumpsuit that had great pockets and she told me where I was from. So. <laughs> That's a dream. I know, it was a dream experience. <laughs> We've got distracted by, by breasts. It's the story of my life. I might talk a little bit more about boobs later on just to keep wet the appetite, but... What's our question this week? Question this week is from Jack Fitzgerald, who is at Mr. Fitzgerald on Twitter. And he said that everything so far in history has been about kings and emperors and queens who are some everyday heroes. So today we're going to be talking about everyday heroes, basically. So people who aren't kings, who aren't nobility, who don't have a list of titles as long as your arm. Mm-hmm. but who are normal people doing extraordinary things yeah, and making their mark on history despite being non-noble. Yeah, because yeah. so much of it is A lot of the privilege. time they are people I would describe as what, people of whom it is scandalous that we do not have big budget Hollywood movies. Always, yeah. except one of mine who we do have a hot big Hollywood budget movie about. Mm-hmm. No, there's no boobs in it. Uh, um, well, that's a shame. Yeah. But so one of mine does have a movie, but I'm going to talk about him anyway because he's fun. Um, we all interpreted hero slightly differently, which I quite like. Yeah. Which is that Oliver went primarily for people who, like, were part of some kind of resistance or who stood up against oppression in some way, primarily during the war, mm-hmm. or who committed acts of like great valor i went for folk heroes mostly so people who are revered by the people who to have come from the people and to be leaders of people Mm -hmm. and you went for people who have kind of been doing heroic work basically so like have have made breakthroughs in their field yeah or people i i went mainly like the idea of everyday hero i went mainly for people who didn't deliberately become heroes were just there accidentally and did a thing that was in front of them yeah Uh, and and it was good for the world that they did and did some solid work and changed the world yeah yeah so we're just going to talk through some of them yeah basically at random i think yeah pretty much we'll go no order to this at all we're just going to switch around and depend see who we do do you want to go first do you want to see your first hero sure so we have a lot of, like Oliver in particular put a lot on this list of World War II heroes. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk about one who I love a lot, partly because she was born in New Zealand. Um, <laughs> she didn't grow up there though. She grew up in Australia, but she's a woman called Nancy Wake, mm-hmm. who she grew up in Australia and ran away from home at 16 and ended up traveling a bit. She went to New York and then to London and then just decided to make herself a journalist. Which I think was okay. easier to do at that time. You didn't have to go to 
journalism school and learn. <laughs> Didn't about, have to do a three unpaid internship. Like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> three unpaid internships in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, she so she ended up during the thirties. She was a European correspondent for Hearst which obviously meant that she saw a lot of shit go down. Mm-hmm. And when at the point when France was invaded in 1940, when France fell to the Germans, she was living in Marseille with her husband. Um, so she just became a courier for the French resistance. She was, Amazing. She was there. And she became so notorious to the Gestapo that they called her the White Mouse because they could never catch her. And by the time the Germans occupied Marseille, she was the most wanted person in the area, at which point she fled and her husband was tortured and killed in an attempt to track her, but he did not give up where she was. And she didn't find out that he'd died until after the war. But So after escaping the Gestapo, she went to Britain and had some training before dropping back into France to be a London liaison liaison for a marquee group, which was a group of guerrilla fighters on the ground in France. They weren't military, they were just people who were around and wanted to fuck shit up for the Germans. Yeah. She was initially tasked with admin and keeping track of weapons and all of that sort of thing, but she ended up being a huge part of their recruitment. They, that particular group grew to 7,000, and she participated in raids, including, and this is my favourite thing, killing an SS sentry with her bare hands. Amazing. Um using a move that she had never, she'd practiced a lot, but she'd never tried before. And she said that she was pretty surprised when it worked. And she straight <laughs> up killed him. love the image of this, of a woman like in her bedroom or whatever, like practicing <laughs> on pillows, yeah. bare, bare hands. And then she gets an actual man in front of her and she's like, oh, it, it works. What I you know doing? how to do this. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, she also is notable for, uh, they lost some codes Due to like for, from their radio station, so she had to bike them 300 kilometers and back uh, to deliver that message to London. Uh, and she biked, so she biked 300 kilometers and back within 72 hours. Wow, she was a badass. That is a badass. Yeah, but because she's a woman, she's only ever had like bitsy made for TV shit done about her. Neither. I had never heard of her until pretty much this moment. No so. one has ever heard of her. She's in, but she's in, she was incredible. I also read a story, and I haven't been able to verify that in this little pocket of research, that she tricked herself into a job by pretending to be able to read hieroglyphics. Uh, when actually <laughs> that is was, the kind of skill that people look for. Yeah, uh. so she did it by someone dictated a message to her and told her to write it down in hieroglyphics and then read it back. And she just wrote <laughs> shorthand backwards, and they didn't know hieroglyphics, so they couldn't tell. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Shorthand backwards looks nothing like hieroglyphs. No. So that's beautiful. <laughs> what happened to her after the war? Do you know? Like, did she get to? Yeah, she just know. she lived. She just went back to Australia. I think lived a long, long life. She ran for parliament a few times, and she generally every time she ran, she managed to pull the vote quite significantly in her direction, but never quite enough to actually be elected. Okay. But she was she went and got involved in politics. Yeah, and then when she was older, she went back to London and just lived at a hotel for free until she died. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, not no, bad. She, not quite until she died. She lived there for free for a while because they just loved her and they were like, yeah, you're a war hero, we'll just let you stay. And she would start her first gin and tonic, apparently, uh, in the morning in the hotel bar. Um, but Classy. then she ended up moving into a home for ex-servicemen and women in Richmond. And she stayed there till she died. Amazing. Yeah. At 98. You see, she would be quite heroic, I think, even if she had just been like at 16, she decided she was going to be a journalist. So she moved literally across the world yeah. and became European correspondent for her. Like that alone mm-hmm. is quite the story. And then she's just, oh, there's a war in front of me. You know what? I'm going to fight in it. <laughs> Yeah, I'd better do something about this. Yeah, um, it's very, very yeah. good. See, quite a lot of the ones that Oliver did were basically people who did that, people who were in positions where they were like just doing diplomatic jobs or something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, a lot of and diplomats who just like quietly issued visas they weren't allowed to issue. Yes, the Lithuanian, no, sorry, the Japanese vice consul who yeah. got 40,000 people out through Lithuania. It's incredible. Good Chinue Sigihara. Yeah, 40,000 people he managed to get out. It's amazing. And then Raoul Wallenberg, who was the Swedish diplomat, who gave people visas to get people out as well and yeah. got 
thousands of people out. I think, although I'm not 100% sure, that he is the one who, when they eventually removed him from Germany, he was throwing pre-signed visas out of the train. Amazing. Just so, so like, in order to get as many people out as he can yeah, yeah like right, just end, he was like yeah literally as he was being removed from the country he was still doing what he could yeah which is i mean when you look at how much they could have chosen not to do that yeah it is like an extraordinary thing to have done yeah i think so and like there are a lot of stories like this from world war ii because obviously there was a lot going on but it's still yeah. like a rare person i think who looks at that situation and actively considers what they yes. can do to help regardless of the risk to themselves it's very very yeah. impressive or inspiring uh, yeah and as i've read that travelers in the third reich which is about people literally tourists but also diplomats and politicians and like the british consul and things in germany during the 30s and how they did nothing yeah and desperately tried to ignore it or explain it away yeah or to to act like it was okay basically Mm. or to explain it all away in some fashion just so they could keep having their life of parties and nice travels and going to the theater without having that interrupted too much which is like I think particular like I mean it's depressing that this is something that we always talk about today wherever we are but like <laughs> it is something that you can see happening now I just read like an article earlier about the amount of pilots who have refused to fly because they had yes. asylum seekers who were being deported on board their planes like that's incredible it's an extremely brave thing to do it's an extremely brave thing to do but also it's fucking appalling that we need people to do that right now yeah it's um Terrible. I think we're in a position now where there's a lot of people having to make decisions, particularly in America. Like yeah. Having to make decisions about how much they're willing to risk be involved in the, yeah, or yeah. be involved in the diplomatic and administrative processes of the things mm. that are happening. Because um, yeah. there's, you know, there's people doing the paperwork, but yeah, it's depressing. But it's nice to know that for all of the depressingness, there are people, always people who will see it and say no. Yeah. And, and stand up for something and do what they can. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to know that's possible. It is. Who's your first person? My first person is Watt Tyler, mm-hmm. who was the leader of the Peasants' Revolt in England in 1381. And he was a... Um, well, nobody really knows anything about him. His proper name is Walter, but apparently that was too challenging. <laughs> so he, that became Watt because... Those extra syllables are confusing. And the name Tyler just comes because he was a Tyler. Oh, sure. Of course it does. Um, (laughs) And he was from Kent. Basically, it was a revolt against taxes because there was a poll tax. Um, Mm -hmm. As we know from Margaret Thatcher, people do not like poll taxes. Mm -hmm. Basically, a tax on breathing. And you're charged four (laughs) pence for every adult, which is quite a lot of money in... 1381 don't know what it is in real life but in 1381 it's significant um it's also i read a thing recently that the peasants revolt was partly a response to the black death which had radically changed the lands like the labor landscape of britain Mm -hmm. and had meant that people were essentially in serfdom were able to see more freedom of movement uh, and see possibilities for moving somewhere else Mm -hmm. because there was basically when you wipe out a third of the population a lot of jobs open up (laughs) which means that other people can move around and it means that labor becomes worth more yeah so they started asking for more essentially and this eventually led to amongst other things the peasants revolt inspired by the teaching of john ball who preached that all humans were equal because all humans were descendants of Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. And what Tyler kind of basically, no one really knows how he got involved, but all of a sudden he emerged as the face of the revolt and led the rebels across the country and they assaulted London. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, they marched across into London and across London Bridge and started attacking prisons and attacking civil buildings and attempting to attack the government and anyone that they thought was involved in the government they would kill and eventually they've managed to force 
Richard II, I say eventually, it was literally like a day later, um, <laughs> to, to back down, give like take away the poll tax, make a load of concessions, give people more freedom and stuff. Tyler didn't necessarily believe him and kind of didn't really think that he could necessarily be trusted. Uh-huh. And so he met with the king personally and then didn't treat him with the respect that the king kind of felt that at that time he deserved. Mm-hmm. He like called him by familiar names. <laughs> oh dear. And yeah, and then he asked for some water because it was the middle of June and it was a hot day. Apparently he rinsed his mouth in a very rude and disgusting fashion. <laughs> um, which I can't really imagine. <laughs> But that triggered uh, Lord to basically call Tyler a thief and a robber, which meant that Tyler punched him in the face. Oi. (laughs) The Lord Mayor of London then tried to hold him back. Mm -hmm. So he stabbed the mayor. Saved only by his armour. They then got into a proper fight, like knife against sword. Uh And eventually Tyler was killed. (sighs) Because it was him against the entire king's man. <laughs> well, presumably, Richard, who is like 13 or 14, he's young at this point, mm-hmm. um, just stands there being like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> but yeah, it's, so he was then unfortunately like proper head on a stick and everybody, all of the peasants were kind of very sad mm-hmm. um, and didn't really know what to do with themselves if they didn't have him. So... It all kind of went to shit because he couldn't control his temper. But um, I do still quite love him for basically, as far as I can tell, his entire life is just him going, the fuck did you just say to me? <laughs> yeah. um, and then you gathering... You me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then gathering people behind him yeah. um, and being very inspiring. And had he not uh, attempted to stab the mayor after doing something disgusting with water... <laughs> Uh, he, the Peasants' Revolt could have been more successful, but mm-hmm. um, I like him anyway. Yeah, I have such a soft spot for someone who could have been like truly great and just fucked it up because <laughs> they were impatient or something. Yeah, <laughs> impatient or just like badly mannered. Yeah. Or, it does feel a bit like his response to everything. I know quite a few people like this where their response to everything is just like, you what, mate? And I can entirely imagine them responding to somebody calling them a great thief and robber yeah. by punching them in the face. Absolutely. But yeah, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of what Tyler. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's ever got a film. There's a bunch of like dry 900 page books about him, yeah. but there should be like a good film. Yeah, he deserves a he deserves a film. Maybe Tom, yes. maybe Tom Hardy. That would be good mm. actually. Yes, I could see that. Being a bit pugilistic when it's not really called for. Yeah, <laughs> looking frightening. Yeah. 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 So yeah, he's my so he's my first one. I like him. Who's um, your next one? My next one is I'm pretty sure the only man I have brought to the table. <laughs> <laughs> my next person is Ignace Semmelweis, uh, who was a Hungarian doctor who basically got us all washing our hands. <laughs> um, it seems so basic. It seems so basic. So he ended up being known as the saviour of mothers because of how uh, much he was able to halt infant mortality in the hospital he worked at. He worked across two clinics that were trained. They were both training centres. And he noticed that the first clinic had a much higher mortality rate than the second, even though they were both run in exactly the same way. The only mm-hmm. difference was the second clinic was where they were training midwives and the first one was where they were training med students who, as well as dealing with births, were performing autopsies. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's not an ideal mix of mix of tasks there. Um, but no one could figure out and he couldn't figure out why so many babies were dying um, until a friend of his got accidentally slightly stabbed by a <laughs> scalpel uh, that a student was wielding and, like, and died. Um, and he noticed that the cause of death seemed very similar to the other deaths that were happening. Mm-hmm. And the because the scalpel that he his friend had been poked with had was in the middle of an autopsy when it happened, he concluded that something he called cadaverous particles were being transmitted <laughs> on the med student's hands to the patients that they were dealing with. Um, so he brought in a policy of washing hands with mm-hmm. chlorinated lime 
at what a, a solution made out of chlorinated lime because I imagine too much lime would just be no good for anyone. No, but that sounds bad for the skin. It sounds, it sounds very bad for everyone's skin. I would kill some germs, I guess, but yeah. <laughs> and after he brought that in, mortality rates plummeted from something like 18% to 2%. And he then expanded that to include not only hands, but all the instruments that were being used with patients as well. But no one listened to him and he didn't have <laughs> any kind of scientific justification for why his method worked. So he couldn't uh, prove it and he couldn't convince other doctors to use it. And it wasn't until decades later when germ theory was being discussed a bit more and there were people doing things with microscopes that it was proved how, how correct he had been. But even in his little wee pocket, he saved a lot of people by getting doctors to wash their hands yeah it's ridiculous now but apparently not yeah yeah it does seem ridiculous it is bizarre that when you think to like how much we talk about germs and think about germs and like have Mm -hmm. all of these sprays in our house that kill all the germs and like wash your hands like a hundred times a day and like do you just think about it yeah it's and just a, a, it's a constant like you know they're there the idea that, that that's so recent that yeah because it was only he was, this was happening in the 1840s it's not that yeah. long ago like 150 years ago 160 years ago we just like everyone was like germs mm, sounds like you're going mad yeah you're just uh, that's, that's, you're making stuff up tiny little particles we can't see don't think so mate yeah I think are you broken yeah and because but also I, it's quite impressive that not only did he think we need to clean stuff, but we have to disinfect it before yeah. disinfectant had been invented. <laughs> yeah, so he invented his own terrifying sounding disinfectant. <laughs> he did. I, I mean, I said I'm going to say I like it, but like the fact that the response was so angry mm-hmm. to him that people were so terrible about the fact that he suggested <laughs> that there might be something in cadavers that you don't want to put inside a baby yeah that he had a massive breakdown yeah and ended up in a like mental hospital and i can't imagine that an 1860s mental hospital was amazing i can't imagine and to be fair we don't know that that was because of how little people listen to him there are people who have speculated that he had alzheimer's uh, there are people who have speculated that it was third stage syphilis um but he did have a breakdown okay um he, yeah but it is still I, yeah. I can't imagine that it helped that he I was like... I can't imagine it helped at all, no. Look, here's my thing. And everyone was like, yeah, you revolt us with your terrible ideas. Yeah, you stupid, you stupid mad idiot. Just yeah. jog on. Jog on, exactly. Yeah. Um, it might be the sort of thing that like in the same way that the Van Gogh being unable to sell his work didn't cause his mental illness, but it probably yeah. exacerbated it quite a bit. It might it be doesn't a help. similar situation here. When everyone thinks your life's work is stupid, it's going to make uh, any self-esteem and mental health issues that you have a little bit harder to combat. Yes. So this is a quote from a book that he wrote. It's called The Etiology Concept and Prophylaxis of Childbed Fever. That in medical lectures, halls continue to resound with lectures on epidemic childbed fever and discourses against my theories. The medical faculty at Würzburg awarded a prize to a monograph written in 1859 in which my teachings were rejected. Yep. Poor but man. You've also got to think, the balls on those other doctors, he managed to make the mortality rate plummet and they're still like, nah. nah yeah. Nah, mate, you're dreaming. Well, having worked with nurses and allied healthcare professionals for several years, I can tell you that they are... There are specific like change management courses that they get taught in university now. Mm-hmm. And the reason that they're taught this is because in medical professions, getting them to change their behavior is notoriously and freakishly difficult. Like they will be like, have you ever thought of like giving them this drug that might work? Or have you ever thought of doing it according to this procedure? And they're like... Why would you even dare suggest <laughs> that there could be a better way of doing it? You come I will. into my house. <laughs> yeah, on the day of my daughter's wedding. You criticise um, my practice. Yeah, you um. may as well stab me in the heart <laughs> and suggest that there is a slightly better way to do this form. Yeah, they are like it's a 
strange kind of quirk of the profession that they just absolutely despise change um, the whole fields are dedicated to trying to get doctors and nurses to not instantly reject change just because somebody has suggested it oh, god bless them it's amazing yeah okay so for my next one i'm going back all the way to the romans because i have to have at least one roman or else i get sad <laughs> that's fair and, you know, just to prove that there were some heroes back then, too, mm-hmm. that weren't Spartacus. Uh, <laughs> but everyone um, loves Spartacus. Everyone loves Spartacus. Everyone forgets he lost, though. Yeah, well, that doesn't mean he wasn't a hero. It's true. He was kind of a hero. I think the thing with Spartacus is that when I learned about him, the main thing we learned was that he never, like, he's kind of taught now as some kind of, like, anti-slavery, like, fighting my way back to my child or whatever Mm -hmm. but really he just wanted to own slaves himself he just wanted (laughs) yeah basically he wanted freedom which meant that he wanted the right to own own. his own slaves yeah great good it wasn't like he was yeah i mean and it's impressive he was a great general but Mm. yeah but he's too obvious so instead i'm going with arminius okay um, he was slightly after, so he was born in about 17 BC and died in AD 21, so this is the period of Augustus and Tiberius. Mm-hmm. And he came from a Germanic tribe called the Cheruski, mm-hmm. who are in like northwest Germany, like where Hanover is now. Sure. And they were very close with the Romans for a while, so he joined the Roman army and then trained up as a military commander, like trained right up into being like the right-hand man, Um, and then got Roman citizenship and was kind of very good. And then once he had reached what he felt was going to be the highest point in his Roman military career, he defected and went back to the Germans and took all of his Roman army training (laughs) to the Germans. That is beautiful. Um, Yeah, and went back and got together an army of Germans, tricked the Romans into bringing three legions, which is about 1,500 people per legion, mm-hmm. into northern Germany, tricked them, like lured them into the forest by telling them, because they trusted him, that there was a rebellion and he needed like help putting it down, and then absolutely slaughtered them. He completely destroyed three solid legions plus three cavalry detachments and six cohorts, which is thousands and thousands and thousands of men. Jeez. Um, Yeah. um, (laughs) It is maybe about 20,000 people. He, yeah, it was the greatest defeat that the Romans suffered for hundreds of years. Quintilius Varus committed suicide because he was so embarrassed by the whole situation and Two of the legions were never re... They, they, they were just lost forever. Mm-hmm. Um, their number was never reassigned because their eagles were gone. And Augustus, who was emperor at the time, was so devastated by it that he spent like three months in mourning. And according to Suetonius, was occasionally found like banging his head against walls, screaming, Quintilius Verus, bring back my legions! <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. If you Which can make is, someone shriek a name and rend their clothes, I think you qualify as a hero. Yeah. And so Arminius was seen as like a great folk boogeyman mm-hmm. for a while amongst the Romans. He was like, he had done this thing that they had, they'd got to the point where they hadn't lost in so long. Yeah. In hundreds of years, they hadn't had a, like a defeat that wasn't against themselves, that they had sort of forgotten what, bad losses were like and it just just traumatized <laughs> them eventually germanicus who is the adopted son of tiberius and the father of the woman that i wrote my book about agrippina the younger mm-hmm. managed to kind of get in and defeat him and then got him on the run mm-hmm. which was the only time that anyone managed to defeat him because he was destroying anything that even vaguely looked roman in germany but this was about 15 years later and any time anybody else had gone like any of the other german troops um, had gone near him he had just slaughtered them <laughs> he just basically fucked with them using their own tactics for 15 years that's amazing 
Yeah, eventually Germanicus managed to get back two of the eagles and buried some of the... Apparently he found like literal piles of bones because so many people had died. Yeah, and um, but he never managed to defeat Arminius. Arminius was eventually killed by one of his own men but uh, <laughs> in an argument because they thought he had become too powerful. They didn't Jeez. like that very much. But I love that. I love that a lot. Yeah, so yes. it's good, isn't it? It's uh, like they good. totally... He totally tricked them into trusting him. He spent like his whole life in Rome. He grew up there. And then as soon as he got the chance, he was like, ha ha. <laughs> in doing like when German nationalism got really big, he was one of the people that everybody like German nationalism up to the Third Reich and during the Third Reich, just to bring it back to Nazis. Um, <laughs> they they called him Hermann for reasons that are unclear. But Hermann's he was he's like his, this yeah, this is great. That, is it what Hermann's the German is named after? Is he maybe the coffee place, or is I it don't just know. that it was started by a man named Hermann? It might just be a man named Hermann. I'm going to assume um, that it's there Arminius are, because I want to. There are quite a lot of like things named after him in Germany. Yeah, like sons of Hermann. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, when Germans started to get really into nationalism, when they realised they were quite a young country and started trying to form a, an identity for themselves, they mm-hmm. kind of latched onto these ancient figures like him and like Clovis and the Franks and stuff and started turning them into Germans rather than Germanic. Right. So he's remembered as this great German hero, but when he really he was Germanic. Yeah. Not really the same thing. But yeah, he's still kind of great. And he scared the shit out of the Romans and made them cry a lot. That's amazing. Which is hard to do. And therefore, he's my fake hero. <laughs> <laughs> my next person is Nellie Bly. Okay. Who we definitely should have had a movie about by this point. <laughs> she was awesome. She was a journalist and she's another one who just d- started being a journalist very, very young. But she's most famous for getting herself admitted to a madhouse and writing an expose on it. But she started out um, working in Pittsburgh and she started out covering the lives of women working in factories. But because of all the big truth bombs she dropped, uh, she drew a lot of complaints from factory owners. So the paper's editor had her reassigned to society and fashion, which she fucking hated. So she (laughs) took off at age 21. She went to Mexico to write as a foreign correspondent. Which, where she promptly began write, writing about all the journalists who had been imprisoned by the dictatorship that was currently running Mexico. It was run at the time by Porfirio Diaz, mm-hmm. uh, was the dictator at that point. So she got threatened with arrest and had to flee the country. But she kept writing about him and all of the 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 ways in which the press was being controlled in Mexico at the time, but not as much as she wanted to. She was immediately reassigned back to society and fashion, which again, she hated. So she quit and left the paper and went to New York, where she managed to con her way into the editor's office of the New York World and agreed to go undercover in a madhouse. So she basically just went up to people. She practiced being mad for a night and then went up to people trying to get arrested and committed to an insane asylum, which she succeeded in doing. She was there for 10 days before the paper came and convinced them that she wasn't supposed to be there and got her out. At which point she wrote this incredible piece, which you can read, it's online, and I will um, we'll put it in the show notes. It's very good, like it's searing. And it kind of electrified the community and prompted a grand jury investigation of the state of mental health care in general, uh, which led to the budget allocated to it being increased and to um, a general commitment to examine mental health patients a lot more thoroughly to make sure that people weren't being admitted unless they were a severe danger to other people or to themselves and the conditions in general were improved because of what she did and she did a lot of other awesome stuff after that like she tried to prove whether it was possible to fly around the world in 80 days by flying around <laughs> the world in 72 days wow i know she she was incredible That's amazing yeah she was an awesome, awesome woman who did a lot of awesome stuff. But she did. She does. Sound she like did it. marry a seventy-three-year-old when she was thirty-one, which is, mm. you know, <laughs> interesting. Okay. Yeah. I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> Maybe it was for love. I can't promise either way. No, we don't know them. No, we don't know them. And sometimes um, forty years is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a blink of an eye. <laughs> really, like. Yeah. It's a struggle for me to imagine, but that doesn't mean... Many things are a struggle for me to imagine. That doesn't mean that they're not. 
yeah loving and delightful she also managed to invent better milk cans and a stacking garbage can mm. while she was married because she, uh, her husband was a iron man so okay well she was is she one of these people who like couldn't look at something without trying to improve it i think maybe yeah i think that's what was going on like the woman who invented the dishwasher yeah because she got annoyed that her servants weren't washing things properly. This is why there are so many interesting women inventors, because I think that happens a lot with women. Like, there was, um, came across someone, I can't remember her name, I didn't put her on the list, who, like, invented a huge amount of just interesting stuff around the house. I think she invented the ice cream scoops that did the... And, but also a bunch <laughs> of other things. Yeah. yeah. Josephine Cochrane invented the... That's quite scary, actually. Yeah, just got annoyed that butlers weren't doing it well enough. So, yeah, just quite a lot of effort to put in. It's more effort than I would put into inventing something. Like, because when things aren't being done quite right in my life, I just complain about it. <laughs> yeah, I think most of us do. But like, I tweet goodness, about it. Yeah, some uh, people. Some people are like, I can find a way to fix this. This could be better, and I know how. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, I'm glad that those people exist so that I don't have to. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> the person that she built it with was called George Butters, which is a good name. Oh, nice. Yeah. I don't know. That's just a really pleasing name to me. It is. I like a name that sounds like it's made up and in a children's book. Yes, it does sound like that. It sounds like it's the name of like an elephant, a toy elephant in a, in a children's book. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of names, my next one is somebody who has two names because he was West African who ended up in America through no fault of his own and they couldn't cope with his African name so they gave him an American one. Mm-hmm. His name was Sengba Pei and he was of the Mendi people which is in what is now Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. But he ended up in a court case in America and they called him Joseph Sinke for reasons unclear. Sure. Just couldn't be fucked with his actual name. But quite possibly explained by the fact that the reason that he was there was that he led the Amistad uh. slave revolt on the ship Amistad because mm-hmm. he was presumably living a happy life with his three children and his wife farming rice mm-hmm. uh, in Sierra Leone, um, what is now Sierra Leone, when African slave traders kidnapped him and sold him to Spanish slave traders mm-hmm. and that who then shipped him to Cuba, which was a violation this is 1840 1839 by that time the international slave trade was illegal mm-hmm. still allowed slaves as long as you didn't import them sure completely reasonable yes there was still a significant amount of illegal slave trading going on mm-hmm. and a significant amount of slave trading going on within africa alone i recently read Homegoing. i don't know if you've read that i haven't yeah. It's in Ghana, and that begins with two women being captured by um, African slave traders who basically used it, used selling their rivals into slavery abroad mm-hmm. as a way to gain power. Yeah, basically, mm-hmm. to as part of power maneuverings. So, because no one's coming back from that, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they were going, they were on their way to Cuba and were going to be enslaved. And he led the revolt against the Spanish crew, mm-hmm. took prisoner the two merchants who had bought them, killed few, like the captain of the ship and a couple of other people. Mm-hmm. They forced them to turn around and go back, but instead they went towards America, mm-hmm. hoping that the Americans would come and save them. The Americans did turn up and were like, what is going on here? And at first they were like, uh, they should probably arrest the black people for murder. But they, Sengbe was like, well, we were not slaves. We were like, we were not enslaved within mm-hmm. Americas. So we have been illegally trafficked. Yeah. And he then was the representative of the group of slaves, the liaison between, I say slaves, the men and the attorneys and the court. And he told their story and he explained what had happened. And eventually it went all the way to the Supreme Court as to whether they were guilty of murder and should be remain in slavery in America or whether mm-hmm. they were free men who had been illegally trafficked. And eventually they were freed. And 
he won the case, even though Martin Van Buren, who is my partner's favourite president, f- considered it to be terrible. And he was like, just put him in slavery. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> uh, basically, yeah. um, he considered relations with Spain to be more important. Yeah. So he was just like, just, just doesn't matter. Just kill them all. They won. The Supreme Court said, no, this was illegal. We have banned the international slave trade. This is a one sop to this. <laughs> and they were, mon- lots of money was raised in order to allow them to return to Africa. And no one really knows what happened when he got back. I mean, There's I hope of... he just had a nice life. I hope so. There's <laughs> lots, lots and lots of stories about him, about yeah. what he ended up doing. Some stories say that he moved to Jamaica. Some say that he became a slave trader himself. Mm-hmm. which is an interesting thing. Some say that he just went back to a silent life. The, there's no way of knowing what happened because nothing was written down, unfortunately. Mm. he. But hopefully he went back and had a, a happy life. But he's now like this great hero of Sierra Leone. He's on banknotes and he is, you know, obviously there's the film Amistad yeah. way back in the day. Yeah. There's sculptures of him in America. So he is remembered as this great hero for which is a weird thing for the americans to celebrate seeing as they tried very hard to not let him be free but they were the villains in that in many stories well the spanish were the main bad guys i guess Uh, well again they are in many stories (laughs) (laughs) i think all uh white people are the villains of that story almost certainly Uh, except john quincy adams who was on their side well thank goodness for him and yeah yeah yeah, but, that is very good. That's very impressive. I, I kind of also love it when there's a story that is part of it, obviously not all of it in this case, but part of it is just like being a badass within the judicial system. Yes. Like, he killed a bunch of people and then he fucking took them to court. <laughs> yeah, basically. And was like, no, how dare you? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And that must have been kind of terrifying. Completely, like, yeah. To be taken, to be kidnapped and removed from your entire life and country and then shipped and then treated as a slave for however many months it takes to get from Sierra Leone to Cuba. A lot, I would imagine. Yeah. And then to be able to rise up because, you know, the systems in place to prevent slaves from doing that was significant. Yeah. Um, And then to be in like the Supreme Court and be like, no. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's very impressive. It is impressive. I hope he gave a load of badass speeches. Me too. I'm going to imagine that he did. That's fair. Because when we don't know, we get to imagine. That's the, <laughs> that's the gift of history. <laughs> yes, it's true. But yeah, so I'm not going to call him Joseph Sinke because it's obviously not his name. We're going to yeah. Sinke Pia. I'm going to talk about Amelia Bloomer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who um, is my favourite person I'd never heard about all of a sudden. She basically is one of the key people who got us out of corsets. Yay! So she married a newspaper man called Dexter Bloomer, who uh, encouraged her to write for his newspaper, but she got frustrated with that because they didn't cover women's issues because at that time and now, the mainstream press didn't often concern itself with women. (laughs) One day in the future, that will seem odd. Uh, But so far, it does not. Not so so far, no. (laughs) So she started her own paper called The Lily. It started as a temperance paper because she was a supporter of the temperance movement, but it expanded to deal with women's suffrage and all kinds of things. But one of the issues that um, Amelia wrote about a lot was women's fashion and how important it is for women to be comfortable. Uh, One of the things she wrote is as follows. The costume of women should be suited to her wants and necessities. It should conduce at once her health, comfort and usefulness. And while it should not fail also to conduce her personal adornment, it should make the end of secondary importance. Uh, So she was a fan of loose flowy tops. She was anti-corset and anti-petticoat. And in 1951, she met a... Well, no, in 1951, another, a suffragette called Elizabeth Miller had started wearing loose pants that gathered at the ankles with a little short skirt over the top of them, mm-hmm. uh, which was, I think, inspired by some Eastern fashions, but I'm not sure how directly. And Amelia met someone who had begun copying her, Elizabeth. She didn't meet Elizabeth herself and loved them and started wearing them and writing about them all the time, which led to them getting picked up in a lot of key fashion circles. And they became incredibly popular for a time. Not for a long time, but they were followed by the crinoline, which she adopted after that, which seems odd to me. But, 
you know <laughs> you do you and I mean, it, this is people are confusing it's fine yeah and her influence on that fashion spreading was such that they are named after her that is where we get bloomers well, that's good. It's delightful. It is. And as someone who spends her days in yoga pants and loose cotton shirts, I am <laughs> such a, a new, uh, newly minted fan of Amelia Bloomer. I love it. Be comfortable, women. Be comfortable, women. Her th- loose, loose t-shirts and like light skirts. That's basically my life. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm into it. Yeah, I think it was very uh, good. like part of the women's rational dress movement. Is that what it was called? Yes. Yeah. The, the idea that women wore, didn't tie themselves into clothing. Yeah. And didn't have restricted movement or anything. Yes. Like that. That, were, that they were able to, yeah, cycle in it and walk quickly and didn't put pregnancy corsets on. Yeah, no, yes. Which oddly, I can't imagine is that amazing. No, I don't think that would work super well for for you feeling comfortable in your own body. Yeah, the Rational Dress Society, that's what it's called. Yeah, it's very good. I'm just so happy about it. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm grateful almost every day that I don't have to wear a corset. Because... It's, I mean, it's bad enough wearing underwire. Yeah, it's true. I rarely wear underwear, to be fair, to bring it back to boobs. Yeah, no, me neither. Um, this now is... Marks and Spencer's do loads of stuff that you don't need to wear underwear. Yeah, so it's, it's great. It's just not very comfortable. It's not. And sometimes you do need that little bit of support, but sometimes you don't. Yeah, and it's fine. It's fine. But you almost never need to be just literally tied into something. You never do. And then to wear six out skirts underneath your skirt. Yeah, so you're literally weighed down by your own clothes. Yeah, it's and not... like big hoops. So that you take up an enormous amount of space. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can't get on the tube with that. It's no, ridiculous. it's ridiculous. There's no call for it. <laughs> yeah, well, good for her. Yeah. Again, another woman who invented a thing in order to resolve her problem. Exactly. It's excellent. It's excellent work. Um, it is excellent work. Mm. Again, much more than I've ever done. <laughs> but to be fair, we've just reaped the benefits of all these other women doing it first. We have, and I appreciate every one of them. Mm, me too. Yeah, always delighted that somebody else did it first yeah. so that I can have a dishwasher and some... I can't really say that I've got bloomers. I suppose I've got jogging bottoms, which are basically the same thing. Yeah, exactly, they're the modern equivalent. <laughs> yeah, or or actually, I've recently discovered the reason that everybody is currently wearing big flowy culottes mm-hmm. um, is because they're insanely comfortable. Yeah. And so I'm wearing almost nothing except big flowy culottes at the moment because it's too hot. It's so hot. I don't have any big flowy culottes. I feel like I need to resolve that problem. I recommend that you get on it because they are preposterously comfortable and very cool. Yeah. And you look like you have put some effort in, even though you are just sort of floating around. This This is what my wardrobe is becoming, just clothes in which I can float around. Yeah, and it's great. Mm. I've I've developed a theory that you can tell when fashion things are genuinely comfortable and therefore worth trying when you see people who are over 21 wearing them. Because <laughs> a lot of fashion things I see, like fashion is very 90s at the moment and therefore all 21-year-olds look like I did when I was 15. Mm-hmm. And obviously nobody over the age of 21 looks like that no. because it looks uncomfortable. And, and we already just, did it. I already did it and you can't fit a 35 year old body into those clothes no. Where, but these everybody's wearing them because they're super comfortable <laughs> do you know what 90s fashion that I have started missing though since watching since watching the new movie of it the girl in mm. that wears a lot of like short button down rayon dresses oh. and I want those back well they probably are somewhere I haven't been able to find them I've been able to find like knee length ones but yeah. like I want something a bit short and sassy one day it'll come back because like tiny little crop tops and yeah and crocheted vests yes I saw a teenager the other day wearing an outfit that was so identical to the most embarrassing outfit that I ever owned in 1995 (laughs) that I was nearly I thought I was having some kind of flashback (laughs) because the worst outfit that I ever owned Mm -hmm. in 1995 was a pair of giant I suppose like palazzo pants Mm -hmm. Um, so long and flowy and made of like a kind of flowy material trousers in orange 
check. Like, (laughs) Uh fucking neon orange check. Citrus was very in then for a hot second. Extremely in, which I would wear Mm -hmm. exclusively with a neon orange satin type skin tight bomber jacket. Amazing. It was horrific. That is extraordinary. I could probably be seen from space. (laughs) I loved that outfit with my life. Um, And it is now one of the ones that occasionally makes me sit up at three o'clock in the morning going, oh my God, I hope there are no pictures. And I was walking down the road here in Belfast, which is not a fashion capital, to be Mm -hmm. perfectly honest. And there was a girl wearing a neon orange skin tight bomber jacket, a giant they were not checked. They were striped orange palazzo pants. And I honestly thought that I had taken some drugs. That's, <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, it's very frightening. But <laughs> no, it's, yeah. it's beautiful. It's a beautiful part it of It is beautiful. Part. I mean, it's a part of me. It's a part of me I can't excise. Yeah. <laughs> and nor should you. Yeah, that was a diversion from talking about everyday heroes to talking about my history. <laughs> As a I woman, think you are an everyday hero for rocking that outfit in '95. Yeah, I mean, I should. This is one of the many reasons why I'm grateful that digital cameras didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very sad about that, though. I really would like to see a photo of this outfit. Yeah, my mum listens to this, so she'll probably turn out that she's got nine of them and she'll yes! fish them out. Thankfully, she has absolutely no idea how to really use Twitter, so I'm safe. <laughs> But yeah, she will probably send them to me. Oh, mom. Amazing. I cannot wait. <laughs> you have to share it with me. All right. Only you. <laughs> Should we do one more each? Yes, let's. I mean, I think you're, you've not done as many as me. So you could. Have I not? No, I think you're behind. I am going to do the Great General Wei Fei, which I have possibly pronounced wrong, but it's Wei Fei. Mm-hmm. And he is. A great general from the Northern Song Dynasty in around about 1130s to 1140s. Mm -hmm. Basically, this is before everything was unified and when different parts of China were attacking each other constantly. He grew up a peasant, like just a farmer. Mm -hmm. And when the Yerkin part of... China attacked the Song part of China and he was called up to defend his country. But he also had an elderly widowed mother and he felt that he should stay with her. And his mother, who now I'm thinking of this, should probably also be a hero too, decided... So basically it was like a competition between should he be loyal to his country or loyal to his family. Mm -hmm. Either way, he was going to be abandoning one of them. And his mother said that she would make the decision for him and she asked him to take off his shirt and then tattooed serve the country loyally on his back jeez <laughs> which he took fairly obviously as a blessing for him to go to war mm-hmm. putting the country above his mother it's quite a badass thing for her to do yeah. i don't know where she got like just whipped out some ink and a needle <laughs> so he then he went to war He fought his way up through the ranks just by being really, really good at it. Mm -hmm. Like the ins and outs of the war are not particularly interesting because battles are boring. But he was always undefeated and he had his greatest win when with uh, 500 men, he defeated 100,000 men. Jeez. Yeah, using obviously great tactics. He has also like had the loyalty of all his men because he treated everybody kind of with respect Mm -hmm. and was strict but caring and he also cared for the civilians whose towns and homesteads and things that they marched through so he forbade them from raping people and stealing their food or destroying their property Mm -hmm. seems basic does seem like a thing you shouldn't need to make a point of (laughs) but with pre-modern armies i've read a lot of sharp and it is not Mm -hmm. i assume I take sharp to be the truth, God's truth and nothing but the truth. So, (laughs) yeah, so he stopped them from doing that, which meant that the people loved him too, because his was the only army that would come through without them having to hide their daughters or pretend that they didn't have any food. He was eventually called back to the emperor, who was very jealous of him. And so he put him in prison and then executed him for made-up charges of treachery. That seems like not the best thing to do with one of your best soldiers. 
It doesn't, does it? A bit foolish. But, I mean, there's a whole, like, thing around it that's really complicated and, like, it's called the East Window plot Mm -hmm. that I have tried to get my head around several times and makes little to no sense to me and involves people putting messages inside the skin of an orange. Okay, this... So that... It seems needlessly complicated. It is. It's like basically they imprisoned him and then he was in prison for a year and people were campaigning for him to be let out and not executed. Mm -hmm. And so the emperor put a message in an orange so that it would be opened and it wouldn't go through some kind of process and he would be able to... Like, the message was his death warrant and he would be able to say that he hadn't sent it or something. I don't really understand what it was. It's confusing. Sure. But he was pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Good dude. Well done. A good dude. And, you know, he also, when he was sent to, like, put down a rebellion... The emperor said you have to kill everybody in the town because that's the only way that they will learn. And he managed to persuade him into not doing that. Mm-hmm. So mostly into not killing people, which is good. That so. is good. It's preferable, I think, not killing people. It is, unless you're killing Raymonds, in which case it's fun. <laughs> Especially if you're doing killing a lot of them. That's, yeah. that's amazing. It makes us very happy years and years later. It does. I've been thinking a lot recently about how we celebrate in our historical heroes behaviours that we would never accept in our modern heroes. Yeah, no. Um, no. And we're like, Julius Caesar just conquered so many people (laughs) and he destroyed these towns and he marched around and he, like... Then he did this clever trick where he told them that he was going to do this and then he didn't. And oh, it's such great trickery so that he could conquer all these places. And you're like, that's not okay. No, it's not great. Like, um, that's behaviour that if Theresa May started doing that, we'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, it's not... I, I feel like maybe we should make a point of saying no matter how much we celebrate the military victories of historical people, we are still quite anti-killing people in general. I'm primarily <laughs> anti-killing people. Yeah. Like, don't raise your own army against yeah. anyone. Just in, in general. But, yeah, no, I do think that there is, like, there's this weird disconnect about between, like, there's a point at which... It was far enough along Kong, ago yeah. to become okay. Yeah. Yeah, which, which conquest is not necessarily and great. It's one of those things that I always feel a little bit weird about going to like the British Museum because when does grave robbing become archaeology? And is oh, well, it that... okay that we have all these mummies and we just dug them up and put them in cases? There's a whole whole enormous amounts of writing on that question. Yeah, it's a, it's a big question. Enormous mm. amounts of writing. Mm. And yeah, it is a big question at what point and you know, when you go and look at skeletons and things and particularly with mummies and stuff like that. Yeah, like, I think it's that, especially... that was a person who lived in Breeze. Yeah, and And it's a person that we know had a system of belief that had a lot about how you were buried. Like, it was very important to be buried properly. Yes, and and to have a lot of physical things taken care of while you were there. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) and we're just like, nah, that's over now. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about this week. (laughs) Yeah, also I think that it... If I was a world leader and I wanted to live on in memory, Mm -hmm. the world leaders that live on in memory are not the ones who just do... A lot of really good negotiating. Yeah, no. It's probably you know, a bad thing, but... the If I wanted to be remembered forever as a great leader, then you have to leave a mark. And if you want to leave a mark, the easiest way to do it is to... Like, what we did we talk about last week, we talked about people... Yeah. ...who... The most powerful people, and they all did a lot of war. Almost all of them primarily did war, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> um, they just conquered people and changed the world that way. Yeah. So it's nice that we're doing it with not that this week. It is. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the implications of history. Yeah. Somebody ask us a question about it and then we can talk about it more. (laughs) I'll tell you what, should we do one of Oliver's and call it a day? That's a good idea, yeah. Okay. So our last one is Valentina Vladimirovna Tereshkova, who was a Russian cosmonaut. I love the word cosmonaut. It doesn't sound like a real thing. And I don't know why that's the case when astronaut does. I don't know. I think, yeah... I think we get so used to astronaut and then as soon as you say cosmonaut, you're like, the cosmos, that's so much cooler. (laughs) Yeah. We actually, both my partner and I have a great love for Russian cosmonaut iconography and propaganda. So we have quite a lot of posters (laughs) of, yeah, of their, of cosmonauts and things in our house. That seems fair. I think the first time you met him was when we were over for the Soviet space program exhibition that was in the Science Museum. It was amazing. (gasps) 
Yeah, that yeah. is very cool. <laughs> so she was from central Russia. Her parents were from Belarus. Mm-hmm. Her father was a tractor driver and her mother was a textile worker. And she left school at 16, but became really interested in parachuting. Mm-hmm. She just kind of worked in a textile factory, but became fascinated by the idea of parachuting. And when she was 22, she decided to teach herself how to parachute. But she then was obviously a member of the Young Communist League and a Mm -hmm. communist party. And so when they decided that they wanted a woman to go into space, she entered the pool of 400 applicants, Mm -hmm. of which they just chose parachutists. I don't know why they decided they're parachutists. People with experience in parachuting would be the right woman. They specifically wanted a woman to send into space for the, you know... Mm, The cachet of it? Yeah, Yeah. pretty much. So they could say they'd put a man in space and a dog in space and a woman into space. Mm -hmm. So she met all of the criteria and there were 400 people. And she was one of the ones who was selected. And she was specifically chosen because she was proletariat. Mm -hmm. And because they could say that she, you know, was... A woman of the people. A woman of the people, exactly. She was the great Soviet woman. She was supposed to only go really into space once, um, just so they could say that they had popped a lady into space Mm -hmm. uh, in 1963. But she ended up going up loads of times... She ended up spending two days in space overall. Oh, wow. And I think that she eventually orbited the Earth 48 times. Jeez. Over the time. She was the only woman ever in the history of spaceflight to have ever undertaken a solo space mission. That's amazing. My favourite thing about her is that five years ago, she offered to, to, if they wanted to send someone, to go on a one-way trip to Mars. (laughs) She'd go. Yeah, and that's so she's 81 now so that was when she was 76 she was like yeah I'll go to Mars it's great it's fine it's just like she just seems like a woman who's generally just up for things she also has a crater on the moon named after her I mean she deserves it yeah (laughs) look at how often she's been into space Yes, she was massively into the Soviet government Mm -hmm. but I suppose you can't really blame her I mean I imagine Uh, it's just a just a fuck ton of propaganda <laughs> you have to yeah. make sure if you're living in Soviet she was Russia. in the central committee though which is quite big mm. and she was extremely involved in like representing them aboard and being like hey no Soviet Russia's great but also she seems kind of cool yeah just a bit of a badass yeah and she has like loads and loads of awards do you want to hear her awards yeah go for it she's the hero of the Soviet Union <laughs> <laughs> that is very good I know this, this is the thing with communist regimes they always have really good like things she also got the order for the merit to the fatherland Mm -hmm. two orders of lenin order of the october revolution order of alexander nevsky an order of honor and my personal favorite order of friendship (laughs) i really like honored master of sport and yeah that's a good one Mm. she's got like a lot yeah Yeah, there's a whole list of them we're not gonna we can't read them all of them because there's like 40. It's true. Um, hero of the labour of Vietnam. Hero of Mongolia. Order of the Basically, Nile. Basically, <laughs> they just started picking them out they from did. everywhere. <laughs> just flung uh, them out there. Confi- do you think they go for them all at once? Like, she was just there for six hours while they were just kept <laughs> I would love that, but I do think they are all they all have different dates beside them, which I'm assuming is when they were given. <laughs> Curses. Yeah. But still, yeah, there's some good ones. There are some good, good ones. Certificate of appreciation from the recent ones. That sounds rubbish in comparison. That does. That's like participation. Yeah, like this is a problem with democracy. All of the yeah, everyone gets some golden mimosa from the Italian League of Union of Women. That is very good. I hope she was also given a mimosa. Yeah, a really strong one. Yeah, she has a minor planet. Uh huh. Considered to be one of the greatest women of the 20th century. Yeah. She's got a planetarium. She's got all kinds of things. She's rocked it. She's, she's she did basically rock it. just rocked it. And she looks good in a pantsuit. I mean, that's a tricky thing. It is. And now she has that cool thing in her hair. She um, does. Where she it's has black cool. hair with the grey strip and through it's it. it's very she sleek. Looks, she yeah. also has a star system named after her in Mass Effect. Wow, yeah. did not know that. <laughs> There's almost nothing that you 
can't get if you go into space. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I th- so I think that is our everyday heroes. There's a lot of everyday heroes. I think we covered a lot of ground. Yeah. We, it was quite varied. Yeah, I hope so. I think we, we covered some... The only other one that I was really, you know, is a good one is the... Japanese Robin Hood, who's called Ishikawa Goman mm-hmm. in the 16th century. And he eventually got boiled alive in oil. That's no way to go. Yeah, uh, which sucks. Yeah. But but still, I like the sound of him. Yeah, sounds good. What are we talking about next time? Next time, next time we are on Nazis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're finally going to actually talk about Nazis properly. <laughs> After mentioning them every episode because they're Nazis and they always fucking come up. They do. You can't get away from them. So this is from at Bobby Skizzer, who is Bob with a good beard. And he says, did the Nazis actually try to find and exploit occult artifacts such as the Spear of Longinus like they do in movies? (laughs) What a good question. Pretty sure he's talking about Indiana Jones. That belongs in a museum. And I'm excited to talk about this because I have a good book on it. So That will be a lot of fun. And I feel like this is something to do with the Nazis that people just don't talk about enough. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm excited. I'm very excited. I think that's an excellent question. It is. So if anybody else has questions, then you can send them to us at at Sexy History Pod. Mm-hmm. Or, um, or you can email them to us at, at sex sexy, <laughs> <laughs> sexyhistorypod.gmail.com. <laughs> One day we'll work out how to do this. One day we will. Or maybe not. <laughs> People come here for the professionalism. <laughs> Do they? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so you can contact us there. You can contact me at, at Nuclear Teeth on Twitter. And I am at J9 and If. And Oliver is at Kiwa. And you can leave us reviews. I finally worked out how to look at the reviews on iTunes because I'm the one person in the world that does not understand how to use Apple products and I still cannot work out how to look at all of the reviews because I can either see this one or I can't but a very nice review from someone called Ozzie Ann who gave us a question and listened to us while painting rooms in their apartment and so and that delighted us a lot so it was very very good (laughs) If you leave us reviews, eventually I will find them. <laughs> and we will be very happy. <laughs> and we will take pictures of them and then be really delighted about it. So thank you very much for that. It makes our day. Um, and other people can hear us if you leave reviews. So please do that. Yeah. And until next time. Yeah. Yeah. Bye, awesome. Janina. Bye, Emma. Bye.